welcome to the We Are History podcast with me, Angela Barnes. And me, John O'Farrell. And uh, this week we've decided we are going to talk about the first, that's the number one, Opium War. Um, now, the Opium Wars wasn't something that I knew much about. There was sort of, it's the sort of phrase that you hear, the Opium yeah. Wars. Basically, it was you know the first war on drugs and Britain was on the side of drugs. Very much so. <laughs> very much so. So I want to start this podcast. This is a, a war between Britain and China. Yeah. So I want to start by apologising right now for any pronunciations uh, yeah. that yeah. I might make. Um, I don't usually start a podcast with an apology, but I know my Chinese pronunciations are not great. So I just want to get that out there and we'll probably use quite a lot of anglicised versions of things. How's your Chinese pronunciation, John, you? Uh, I'm not going to try doing a Chinese accent, put it no, that way. No, definitely not going to do that. Don't <laughs> no. pay. If anyone's I sitting think... there with their buttocks clenched waiting to see how we deal with this, please relax. I think it's our studio engineer, Spike, here did a little bit of Chinese at school because uh, I was his chair of governors, so I know that. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, so um, China, we can say that word. China, that... Well, let's start at the beginning. Okay. Not the very beginning. So Britain and China had a trade relationship for a couple of centuries before the Opium War. Okay. China first started trading with Europe uh, via Portugal, when Portugal were out exploring the world. They and, were the great navigators, um, weren't they, the Portuguese? Absolutely. Um, uh, and the, but then British ships began to appear on the Chinese coasts around 1630. Around wow, that time, 1635. okay, I didn't realise that early. Um, and that's the East India Company. Now, yes. Want to understand what the East India Company is? They were chartered by the Crown to conduct commerce in Britain's name. So yes. they were kind of. I think um, what people don't understand about the British Empire is that it was really a load of private companies out there. Yeah. Uh, so the, the conquest of India wasn't done by the British Army, it was done by the East India Company. Yeah. You know, uh, like we might have Microsoft or Amazon conquering territory now, if that would be the equivalent. Imagine if Amazon had an army. <laughs> or or <laughs> if uh, if Apple, you know, had a navy. Yeah, uh, they've got drones now, Amazon. They've got drones. So so maybe, maybe it's <gasps> what they're planning. It's going to be oh uprising. It is. It's going to happen. So uh, the East India Company was sort of an imperialist trading organisation. And they gradually came to dominate the trade between China and, and Britain yeah. as well. Um, now, the problem that we had trading with China is that China has a lot more stuff that we want than right. we have that they want. Massive trade imbalance. Massive trade imbalance. No, they the... have tea, they have silk, well, and they're not a... over keen on jam. No, but there was a massive uh, drug problem in Britain, of course, that the uh, the Chinese were into opium, the Brits were into tea. Yes, and they were, exactly. They were like consuming tons of the tea. There were pushers. There were they were getting you Earl Grey. Do you want some Darjeeling? Do you want some Lapsong Souchong there? You know, everyone was drinking tea in England, and this created a massive trade imbalance with the Chinese, who, in very small numbers, uh, were drink were, were smoking opium at the yeah. beginning of this sort of at the beginning of the eighteenth nineteenth century with the eighteen hundreds. So, the way that trade would happen, China being a very protectionist insular country yes. you know, they weren't open to free trade in mm. any way so there was the canton region yeah was can i just um, interrupt you there oh, Angela? Yes. china had banned opium of course in 1729 i've got written down here that china yeah. had banned opium completely even though it's still being sold by the brits to them is that a fair interruption or should yeah I, this I is throw... sort of pr I'm, I'm going back before that okay the earth cools oh no yeah. forward, <laughs> forward a bit from that i'm so <laughs> so Let's just, let's, what I'm trying to do now is just sort of overview of right. how trade works. Right. And then. Yeah. Um, I won't interrupt you again. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, any foreign merchants wanted to trade in China 
would have to do so through Canton. Right. And there was a system set up called the Kohong system where Kohong merchants, who were Chinese merchants, would trade with the foreign merchants in Canton and they would then take the right. produce to the rest of okay. China. China. Right. So that meant that the rest of China didn't have to deal with the foreign merchants. Dreadful just these, Europeans. These yeah. Dreadful, dreadful Europeans. Yeah, um, at the time, the China was still uh, an imperial dynasty, the Qing dynasty, I yes. believe. I think, what, yes, I think you do pronounce it Qing, C-H, yeah, Qing. So it's spelled Q-I, but I think your pronunciation yeah, is, is it's fantastic. Qing. Can we get a nod from the engineer who studied Chinese? Yeah, that's... He's happy with that. He's happy with that. He's, he doesn't <laughs> want nodding. anything to do with that. <laughs> 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 um, so the Kohong uh, was made up of 20 ish merchant families they were the people who would do trade with the europeans in canton and there was a traditional bond was signed between a kohong member and the foreign merchant and the bond said that receiving uh, the receiving kohong member was responsible for the foreign merchant's behavior so that's how protectionist china was they had these sort of um, merchants that they allocated to deal with the foreign traders yeah. and they were responsible for those foreign traders' behaviour while they were in China and for their cargo. I mean, is it worth adding that the ch- attitude of the Chinese to foreigners, that they were completely inferior to oh, the Chinese and barbarians and civilised? I think and it's com- also fair to say that was pretty much the British oh, attitude absolutely. to oh, Absolutely. I think that's a given that the British yeah. uh, Empire in the 1840s thought it was the, the bee's knees. Yeah. But the Chinese had a bit of a shock coming because they thought they were the bee's knees. And yeah, you a, had the clash of these two bees knees bees knees <laughs> yeah well I in mean, fact the, the, the open bees war bees do have I don't <laughs> know I don't know they must be imagine if, you, imagine if you had an animal that had the dog's bollocks and the bees knees what a creature that would be um, anyway and the cat's we're, meow we're, 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 we digress we digress into sort of weird biological experiments go on 1729 China yeah. bans opium okay. um, the well, they, they, they've tried several times to ban opium yes. in China I mean you know, it, it's 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 hard to do. It's very difficult to do. I mean, um, no one has ever really successfully eradicated like drugs here. Hard you know, drugs. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, they, they they actually had a um, policy. This might have been later than seventeen twenty nine, but time the opium war comes around, they had a tougher policy on banning opium, which was to kill smokers who didn't give up. So you had a year yeah. to give up smoking opium. Yeah. Uh, or you were put to death. Which may, you know, it's a better than that. I can help you bit, quit opium. Yeah. It's a like a, yeah. <laughs> it's like, a you know, listen to the podcast and uh, feel the motivation and chew gum. Oh, and get, oh, by the way, we kill you. If, yeah. you, don't <laughs> if you don't succeed. <laughs> yeah. So that was their policy. But, you know, it was, it was an addictive drug. It's, but I'll just say what opium is. Yeah. It's, it's a derivative of the poppy. So yeah. it's sort of dried. Yeah. And it's where we get heroin from, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. It's part of that, the opiate. Yes, it, it's what. How would you Family, describe it? The, so, the you described opium as the. Um, as the. <laughs> the, the <laughs> I don't know what you're going to say, no, John. It was the striptease thing you did. It was the. Um, oh uh, the oh oh yes okay sorry John's just remembering my material better than I can. Uh, no, I did a bit uh, uh, yeah about how. Uh, burlesque is to stripping what opium is to heroin. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, I thought that was a good description. <laughs> oh, well done, John. I've forgotten. I've done that bit of material. So we get to the 1800s. Well, actually, before that, even. Okay. It's going to so be a long we have a situation where we have a massive trade imbalance. Right. And Britain, therefore, starts selling opium to China despite the ban. So there's a ban on opium trade. Yep. Britain starts selling opium to China uh, because then 
the yes. trade is equalised. So then- to, just to be clear... Um, the opium wasn't cultivated in villages in Surrey. And, no, this is uh, from India. This is from India, which we had already colonised by the East India Company. Yeah. You know, a huge number of farms producing these beautiful white poppies. And when you cut them down, their little sort of bud, this stuff dries in the sun and it gets you off your face. It does. And, allegedly. allegedly. I mean, I wouldn't I've, never, I've, I've never done such things. <laughs> so um, this is the end of the 18th century, towards the end of the 18th century, I've got here, Viscount George McCartney hoped to open an embassy and other ports to trade. Yeah, so uh, George McCartney was sent uh, by the British government to China to attempt to open an embassy and to yeah. uh, forge better trade relations. Unfortunately, he went in a bit heavy-handed, as the Brits do, yes. and uh, he clashed with the, I believe it was a commissioner that he was sent yes. to meet, and they had quite a clash and they didn't really... Was he this? felt... The, the commissioner refused to kowtow to a picture of... King George, and right. uh, he refused to kowtow to the emperor. Emperor, and so nothing really. This wasn't when all the chests were thrown in the sea, is it? Or is that come later? No, that comes later. All oh, right. Okay. So the next thing that happens. So in 1820, we have a new emperor. Right. Dao Gang Emperor. Dao Guang. I'm not even going to try and pronounce it. I'm, I'm not. I apologise again. I reinforce that apology. We'll just call him from here on in as the Emperor. The Emperor. Um, and a and massive he, was increase. Descri- he was described by a historian, Jonathan Spence, as a well-meaning but ineffective man. Right. So he wasn't a particularly respected okay. Emperor. And during this time in 1820, there was suddenly a huge increase of opium sales right. because to of, China because of Britain through flooding the East the market. India Now, Britain didn't come... Uh, with its uh, warships, uh, you know, uh, selling opium and forcing it. There was they they were sort of enabling lots of little traders to take their packets of boats, and so it's a hard thing to control. It was there were many levels of uh, salesmen and middlemen involved, so it's a hard thing for the Chinese to sort of clamp down on. But yeah, yeah, uh, but huge social problems. Huge social problems caused China. by opium addiction. Um, yeah. In China, uh, as the addiction... I mean, there's one estimate, I believe, um, that at one point, 27% of the male population of China was yeah. addicted to opium. And they were describing the sort of... Uh, these men lying about all day in opium dens, yeah. off their heads, useless for anything. You know, there's something about opium den, isn't there, that sounds sound, quite appealing. Well, it does sound sort of old-fashioned, sort of, off your face, but it's probably no more glamorous than smackheads under the fly. Yeah, ever. absolutely. <laughs> um, and... Um, so it's not good for the economy of China. Well, it turns out smackhead's not good for the economy, no. John. No, uh, no. 27% of your male population is off their tits. Yeah. Meanwhile, in Britain, we are... Um, this is just the beginning of Victoria's reign. Yep. We're at. Britain a very confident power now. Yeah. Uh, you know... And we are very much all about free trade and the, the, uh, that Smithian sort yes. of economics. And the, and, the, and the Royal Navy is there to safeguard British traders. And, you know, even though the free trade was done by private companies, we had... The Royal Navy making sure that we our people could trade wherever they wanted, and yeah. anyone who got in the way, well, they'd have gunboats to deal with. Yeah, and of course, this came up very much against the Chinese interventionists and yes. sort of very organised yeah. economic policy yeah. in their country. So, so you know, wars are, are over. Um, uh, uh, many wars are over trade. We, you know, we like to imagine wars are fought over great moral principles, <laughs> the concepts of freedom or enslavement. Money, was, money, money. This was over money and the right to sell drugs to the Chinese. You're not going to let us uh, sell your folks drugs. We're going to bomb you. That was the British moral position at the beginning of the First Opium War. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. So in 1834, Lord Napier was sent to Macau. So what happened... There was an act of parliament here which meant that the East India Company no longer had the monopoly 
right. of trade. Um, so more private entrepreneurs were able to enter the opium trade. Right. So there were more of these smaller private third, third enterprises yeah, yeah. getting involved, which obviously meant an increase in the amount of opium. Yeah, 40,000 chests a year uh, I've got by 1839. That's uh, up tenfold from 1800. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. So Lord Napier was the British superintendent of trade who was sent to China. And he uh, tried to get around that system that we talked about, the Canton system, whereby yeah. um, foreign traders could only deal with the traders in Canton. He tried to get into other parts of China and uh, the Viceroy of Canton, not happy. Um, so in 1934, an edict was issued and temporarily closed British trade altogether. That was the beginnings of this real head-banging sort of yep. standoff with each other. Uh, then Lord Napier, he ordered Royal Navy vessels to bombard Chinese forts on the Pearl River to show force. Right. Now, this was followed through, but a war was avoided uh, because Napier fell ill with typhus and died. Oh. Uh, so we, we came close to a little skirmish okay. there in 1834. Okay. Um, now, in 1839, uh, the emperor, he appointed a new scholar official uh, to the post of special imperial commissioner mm -hmm. whose sole job it was to try and eradicate the opium trade. Uh, his name was Lin Zeju, I believe, something okay. like that, known as Lin. Lin we can pronounce. Lin we, we can cope with. Uh, so Lin wrote an open letter to Queen Victoria in 1839, okay. uh, questioning the moral reasoning of the British government, which I think is a fair, yeah. fair thing. Fair point. Uh, I'll down? read you a bit from the letter. It's, it's okay. Your Majesty has not before been thus officially notified, and you may plead ignorance of the severity of our laws, but I now give my assurance that we mean to cut this harmful drug forever. Right. So, however, the letter never reached the Queen. Uh, one source suggests it just got lost in transit. Okay. Um, I, it's most likely that Some she just was never allowed to... Or an official got it or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. At this point, Lynn completely banned the sale of opium. And he demanded that all supplies of the drug be surrendered to the Chinese authorities. Uh, so this is when he started seizing the opium oh. from the factories and the warehouses in Canton. Yep. They're called the 13 factories, which is where these merchants... Did their dealings Trading. in Canton. They weren't factories, they were like trade houses. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, they were just known as the 13 factories. So they were, all their stockpiles were seized uh, and the Chinese troops boarded British ships that were in the Pearl River. Ooh, we shouldn't have done that. Shouldn't have done that. Shouldn't That's an act of... It's like oh. spilling a pint, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> all right, like, mate, calm down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and they destroyed all the opium. Chucked in the sea. That was on board. Now, by this point, uh, we had a new Lord Napier, who we talked about before, the superintendent of trade. He died of typhus. Yeah. And he'd been replaced by somebody called Captain Charles Elliot. Oh, yes. Now, Captain Charles Elliot, at this point, is trying to yeah. sort of keep, come on, guys, everyone yeah. just I, calm my down. My him was like, oh, I am so embarrassed. He's like, Palmerston yeah. was like, well, go over there and blow the whole place up. Palmerston was a British foreign secretary at the time. Yeah. And uh, it seems to me, reading about it, that Elliot was, you know, trying to make this policy work on the ground without killing everybody exactly inside. he's the man there who's trying to deal with what parliament's telling him to yeah, do yeah. but the actual realities of of what's happening yeah. on the ground and the other thing that should be said is this is you know the china seas and london are six months apart by boat so every time yeah. you get an instruction um they say no they say no send the thing back exactly yeah there's months. no telephone lines there's no there's like no... telegraph or anything so yeah it's like, absolutely so he's very much operating out in the field there uh without um Sort of, uh, you know, that instruction really uh, until they arrived, and then yeah. you know, by which point it's not as if they were sitting there twiddling their thumbs for six months yeah. waiting for the next instruction. Yeah. You know, yeah. things were happening all the time. Yeah. Um, 
Now, Elliot, he managed to convince the British traders just to cooperate. I th- I've got, I said they had a, a big banquet with them. There was a big banquet. Yeah. And they all went over and they all, I'll have a plate of 12, uh, yeah. another 17. <laughs> some more racist jokes about Chinese takeaways. Um, and, uh, oh, they, that they, was, they, uh, John O'Farrell <laughs> made that joke. I just want that clear. They all over-ordered. <laughs> they watched the little telly in the corner of the shelf and then they... The, the, Half an hour later, they were uh, happy again. <laughs> oh, no, so you've gone oh, too far. I've no. gone too far. Um, <laughs> I just had this, and that must be maybe the first overeating on Chinese food in yeah, British history, yeah. probably, was the banquet that uh, Charles Elliot had. So uh, he told the traders that uh, Britain would reimburse them for their losses. Um, but of course, the Treasury couldn't actually no, can't afford to do that and have no will yeah, no. or desire to do that either. Uh, now, at this stage, Lin, the Chinese commissioner, he has demanded that all foreign merchants and Qing officials sign a new bond between them. So, you know, we had the bond where the Kahong right. were responsible for their behaviour yeah. of the foreign merchants and stuff. And in this new bond was now a part of it was to promise not to deal in opium under penalty of death. Right, so there's this new clause is so put in their bond. So that's suggesting penalty of death on Brits. On Brits. See, for, the yeah. British Empire's not going to have that. They're, they're, not, not, the they're Chinese, not liking it. They're not liking it. Uh, so Britain was obviously against this. Um, uh, and during this time, of course, the black market in opium was being driven up yeah, as yeah. well while this kind of standoff was happening. And then something happened Go ahead. that sort of triggered the the events to follow. Uh, in July 1939, uh, there was a group of drunk British sailors. Uh, mm-hmm. I know sailors. Sing the song, Andrew. Hey! Um, <laughs> You know, it, it, I just feel about even though this is in the 19th century, just hear groups of Brits abroad. I know they behave the same pissed, way. Getting pissed, throwing opium rioting in the Rioting through villages. You just yeah. go, oh, can we just behave? Have we got a... an English breakfast? Oh, God. <laughs> Probably drinking pints of Stella. And What do um, they do? What do they do, these drunken sailors? So, <laughs> uh, like in the morning. <laughs> um, they They rioted through these villages and during the scuffles or whatever it was that happened, uh, a villager was beaten to death by the British sailors. Um, His name was Lin Waichi. Okay, I'll take every that. every name I pronounce is going okay. to be with an upward inflection. Meaning, the is that right? And yeah, and I'll do a sort of patronising nod. And, yeah, yeah, just to just yeah. to indicate that I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I think it's Lin Waichi. This incident was no became known as the Battle of Kowloon. Blimey. And uh, we're going to take a short break now. We'll come back to this. We'll see how it triggered what happened. Next. Let's see how the actual real hostilities started. Yeah. So, welcome back, Angela. You left us. Um, I feel like Basil Brush. You can't leave Basil like that. <laughs> uh, to, to anybody under 30 listening, yeah. Basil Brush. No. <laughs> so, anyway, Uncle Roy, what? where are we in the open war? These, this, this, you left us on a knife edge. So, these drunk British sailors, yep. uh, Kowloon, yep. have murdered a Chinese villager. Yep. Chinese authorities, not best please. Mm-hmm. Now... Elliot, who is the superintendent, trade superintendent for Britain, yep. he steps in and tries to calm everything down. Calm down, calm down. A little down. bit, calm down. And uh, he offers and does pay compensation to the victim's family okay. and to the village. And two men are arrested okay. by the British right. superintendent. Um, however, he refuses to hand them over to the Chinese. Right. Lin, the commissioner, wants them handed over. Yeah, he wants them to... Be executed, probably. 
be executed. Right. Yeah, which was, would have been the penalty as per Chinese law. And Elliot says, well, how about how about we hold the inquiry, but you can come to it. Right. You know, uh, but Lynn's not having that. So right. he refuses to attend the trial yep. in inverted commas. Elliot holds a trial yep. on a warship. He's the judge. Right. Officers that are also on the ship are the jurors. Okay, this sounds like sort of so it internal, sounds all legit to internal me. police inquiry, this yeah. sounds like. Sounds absolutely or, fine or Fleet to Street me. investigating Fleet Street. Yeah, yeah exactly that. Yeah. Um, now, this naval court, uh, I mean, that's that yeah. seems very strong, naval yeah. court, this yeah. hastily yeah. put together naval court. They convict five sailors of assault and rioting and sentence them to fines and hard labour. Okay. Now... Lin is pissed off. Right. So yeah. he recalls all the Chinese labourers from Macau, right. which is the uh, other island. Is it yeah. an island? Or enclave yeah. or yeah. area, anyway, where foreign traders can, because it, it's um, Portuguese settlers when they're in right. Macau, I think. And, uh, and he issues an edict preventing the sale of any food to the British. Oh. So he makes this decision to try and starve out the British traders. No English breakfast. To get them to sleep. No English no, breakfast, no Marmite, nothing. No, no, oh right? my God, right. And then he starts deploying war junks, warships. Right. No, um, Chinese warships yeah. at the mouth of Pearl River. Okay, and, now, I mean, at this point, yeah. Britain had been through the Industrial Revolution. Yeah. Britain was, A, the world's greatest naval power, but it was also an industrial power in the way that China probably wasn't. wasn't. No. So some of the Chinese soldiers were still arming with bows and arrows. Yeah. Uh, While well, Britain had these massive naval guns. Yeah. Uh, and proper warships. Yeah, you yeah, know, these war yeah. junks weren't like the warships. No, we had a, the first the first iron warship. Yeah. A, a steam-powered thing that cost used a lot of coal, but it was pretty in, in, unbeatable. It was like the Death Star, basically. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the British deployed the Death Star uh, with this uh, the world's first And they first basically iron. had a paper aeroplane. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. Um, so, and the other thing that Lynn uh, ordered was for the water supply at right. Canton. Can we get to the war? To Can we get poisoned? to people being killed, Angela? Are you, are you bored? <laughs> no, no, are I just bored? want people to die and all kids. <laughs> all right, and we'll get to the and... war. Just hang on. We'll get to the war bit. <laughs> Typical boys. So now we're in August 1839. Yeah. And um, there is an opium merchant's ship is attacked by the Chinese. Now that is a sign that things are kicking off. Yeah. And Britain takes it as so. So Elliot orders all British ships to leave the coast of China by the 24th of August. And on that same day, Macau barred all British ships from their harbour okay. at Lynn's request. So now we've got a little blockade situation yep. happening whereby these British ships are sort of stuck, not able to land anywhere. Right. And the Chinese war junks are uh, are forming a blockade. And now the Chinese think they're invincible, of course. They think, oh, yeah. Yeah, they think they're the world's greatest imperial power. And yeah, they each are... side has a superiority, yeah. 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 sense of superiority, yes. and, and a sort of assumption yeah. that they're going to be victorious. So by the end of the August, over 60 British ships and over 2,000 people were just idling off the Chinese coast. They're just, Trouble as to slow. You know, and they've yeah. got getting no food supplies. Right. So things are getting pretty desperate at this point. Um Elliot is still trying to go to the Chinese. Hey, guys, come on. Give us some food and water. Yeah, come on, guys. Yeah. It's not that bad. Still trying to maintain some sort of diplomacy and failing. And then a ship turns up, the Thomas Coots. That ship's owners are Quakers. Wow. Not and they rock up. 
And they refused to deal in opium anyway on religious grounds. Uh, Quaker, it's boring. What about the Quaker Oats War? Would have been much more. <laughs> Wouldn't much that have been fun? There, yeah. So there were, yeah. Quakers are the last people you want in a war situation. <laughs> in a war. Oh, yeah. God. Oh, no, the more Quakers are porridge. Really... Jeez. Um, so they, but they uh, sign the bond that Elliot's told people not right. to sign, and they go ahead and are allowed the into trade. the port. Mm-hmm. So they go ahead into the port, and then another ship called the Royal Saxon. Another British ship follows them. Right. Now, at this point, Elliot's like, we can't have this. We are not trading with these people under these conditions. Yeah. So he orders warning shots to be fired at the Royal Saxon, right. at this British ship. Okay. So <laughs> they, it gets so complicated, this bit, but I promise we're just going to get to the get first shot of the war and then we'll get on to the fun stuff. Blown up. Um, yeah. <laughs> so this, this is basically the start of it. So the warning shots are fired. The Chinese ships come out and because they, they were just warning shots and this isn't a, a confrontation as such, the Chinese report back that they have a naval victory over the British. Well, like my reading of it, they kept saying this every time anything happened. They yeah. kept claiming it as fantastic victories when really their um, soldiers had uh, fired guns into the air and run away yeah. um, and they would go back to the emperor saying another tremendous victory your imperial highness and uh, none of them had the courage or the uh, would you though would you go to no. the emperor and go so, oh we, we fucked we it. are useless we are soldiers are completely useless I mean the other thing is that lots of the soldiers in uh, the Chinese army were off their head on opium, which is yeah. Uh, yeah. which is never really want how you want your your soldiers. So, oh, the irony! Um, Could you imagine a smackhead battle? Well, do you know, what? I think that happened a bit in Vietnam. I think there was a lot uh... of them stoned. A lot of them were really stoned in Vietnam. The American troops, um, and uh, so they were not perhaps operating at full capacity. Probably, uh, but I mean, if I was yeah, going to be on a war do, front, you? I wouldn't be off my head as well. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, is uh, is uh, the puppy uh, affecting the sound? Oh, is she making? No, I, she's didn't not, even I, hear you, I, I thought that. it was my hearing aid no. whistling. No, she's um, asleep again now. She's just dreamy. So the so how so talk talk us about the so the two sides have got this is a, a, a battle happening along the Pearl River. Yep. Yeah, so the warships. actual hostilities break out finally in November 1939 when the British warships destroy a Chinese blockade of the Pearl River. Right. So that is when it properly yeah. kicks off. Now I don't think you know. There's various campaigns take place, various yeah. ports are seized and yes. things and the, happen. But when, when we say tedious. war, it's not like a war between sort of not like the Second World War where we sort of try to occupy the whole of China. This is a series of engagements along the coast, a series yeah. of And uh, they're, they're sort of quite slow, aren't they, naval yeah. battles by then? Yeah. <laughs> so there, there's bombarding of uh the coast, there is uh ships engaging at sea, but it's not like a all out war between two nations. In fact, the very idea of China as a nation didn't quite work for the Chinese. Uh, yeah. They were just local traders who thought that China was the entire universe, no sense of uh, internationalism or the other countries in the world. And they were not that bothered about their apparent emperor. They were trading. They'd yeah. rather make money. There was no sense of patriotism about being Chinese. Yeah. So it was very hard for the emperor to sort of motivate his apparent subjects in mm. this war against the Europeans, because it's just oh, there's some people with some money. The Europeans brought money, yeah. yeah why here's some people with some to... money. Whereas in Britain, we had a well-developed sense of nationhood. You know, uh, we're not French, we're not uh, Spanish. In China, they were, they were the whole world as far as they were concerned. And there were these mm. strange, barbaric foreigners coming in, but no sense of we have a fierce loyalty to our emperor over them when there's this money coming in. Yeah. Um, so he had a bit of a job in his hands, the emperor, to try and organise a sort of resistance to these invading. Uh, Brits blowing up all their ports. 
Yeah, they we've already not, heard he wasn't the most effective no, emperor anyway. But they could not believe how strong these uh, guns were, yeah. how effective these warships were, and they concluded that there must be sort of some sort of magic involved. Well, obviously, that's uh, what yeah. your first thought would your be. Your first thought it? would go straight to magic. So one of the things they tried was floating out chamber pots full of ladies' toiletry. Not to learn, I say toiletry, I mean the product of ladies going to right, the Right, not, not some perfume. No, also. no. Chamber pot, women's wee, for apparently. Why, women's wee and poo. Did it have to be women's wee and I poo? I think there's probably something sexist in it. Angela, something, yeah, it's something just... more magic and witchy-like. Oh, uh, it's the witchy thing, isn't yeah, it? Of course yeah. it's the witchy so, thing. So I think they thought this would counter the, the British magic if we have uh, Chinese ladies' wee-wee being floated out <laughs> towards the ship. Now... History does not record how effective this was. My what? guess is not that effective. Well, yeah, well, so they, they've just floated out the chamber pots in the hope that something would just magically happen. Well, it would it? just, they would counter the, counter the British magic. Guns. This, well, guns yeah. versus urine, I know yeah, what I'm going Guns versus for. floating wee. Didn't work anyway. Uh, they pretended to have fired their guns and told their... Um, Told their rulers that you know they'd they'd, they'd killed all the British and so they <laughs> just, they just go uh, bang yeah, bang with finger yeah. guns. <laughs> and they invented a whole victory at one point, um, but uh, the drug money always trumped patriotism, and so uh, mm. the poor emperor was having a bit of a bit of a problem. They tried fire boats. They set fire to little boats and floated them out to the um, the British ships, and that was slightly problematic. But the you know the, <laughs> the British boats were fast. We're able to manoeuvre, they're very uh, quick to manoeuvre. Mm. We had the uh, first ever iron battleship, of course, which didn't have to rely on the wind, so yeah. could, um, could, could move so anywhere But if you're any sending time. out little fire ships, I mean, they're very yeah. much single use. That's yeah. I mean, quite I, a wasteful sort of yeah, well, yeah, exercise. Yes. It's probably like firework display. Oh, yeah. Nah. Oh. No, it won't light, <laughs> you have to go back to it. You know, it's like <laughs> Chinese fireworks, isn't it? And then um, they lied to the emperor that the British had surrendered. And um, said that the British had lied prostrate in the ground, begging for forgiveness. <laughs> and the emperors kept getting these reports that total victory had been achieved. The British were begging for uh, his mercy and had been lying prostrate at his ambassador's feet. And of course, none of this was happening no. at all. So uh, there was absolutely no communication between the, the two sides. And of course, while all this is going on in China, yeah. back here, Britain was denying, obviously, that the war had anything to do with opium. It's about free trade, actually. Nothing to do with opium. Of course not. It's about defending British honour. British honour to sell opium. To sell opium. And they said the war was about um, protecting British citizens in China and so on. And, and the sort of foreign secretary, I don't know if that was a title he had at yeah, the time, Palmerston but the, was, yeah. was Lord Palmerston. Yeah. And he very much was pro yeah. this he was War. Mr. Gumboat Diplomacy Palmerston. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, he, if any British subject had been arrested or um, aligned in any way, he'd be always happy to send a gumboat out. He was Foreign Secretary at this yeah. point. I was known for his aggressive foreign yeah, policy. Yeah, he right? did become Prime Minister sort of... later, and there was another opium war, which we won't get onto in this one. But he... Yeah. he um... Well, he, he felt that the opium that had been seized yes. was British property. Yes. He didn't see it as contraband. He no. saw it as... Yeah, something for us to sell. Property, uh, and therefore reparations had to be made. Yes. Because the Chinese had destroyed... They chucked it in the sea. There were a lot of stoned dolphins in the South China Sea at that point uh, with all the, uh, <laughs> all the all the opium that was sinking to the bottom. Um, so um, And uh, Palmerston also, he, he said that he believed the motive of the Chinese um, was nothing to do with the promotion of moral habits and their motive for... Uh, stopping the opium trade has nothing to do with the concerns for the morality of their citizens, but was obviously they preferred it when the trade imbalance was 
in their much favor. more in their favour. Right. So, so young Gladstone, who was a new uh, newish MP at this point, was very yeah. much opposed to the policy. He was a very moral politician, yeah. Gladstone. Well, he had a sister, Helen, I believe, who was addicted to opium. Ah, OK. He had and a so he felt very strongly about this particular... He was a funny old fish, though, Gladstone. He was, a, he was a very moral chap. He'd go out at night and... Uh, talk to prostitutes and no, sex workers, we'd say now, but yeah. back then they said prostitutes. He talked to sex workers and tried to dissuade them from their business. Right. And, um, and his other, his other hobby, hobby was chopping down trees. And I think he'd talk all night about sex with sex workers and then go and chop down a tree. tree. Yeah, like, just, I just need to work out this energy. Just take off my shirt and chop, chop it and watch this thing go flopping down. <laughs> so, he, was a, he was a character. So... Um, uh, but he did have a sort of morality that uh, made him feel that the uh, this war was immoral. The London Times had given it the open war as a satirical title. It was a it was a gag mm. to start with, uh, but it sort of stuck. Yeah. And um, now we know that all the books we read on this were, were entitled "The Opium War." That's what it's what it's known as. The Anglo-Chinese War might be you know um, the sort of uh, phrase that was bandied around by historians at the time, but we all now call it the Opium War because that's yeah. really what it was about. Yeah, absolutely. Doesn't make us look good, though. There's no getting around it. No. Uh, so this continues. Yeah. Um, there are several attempts at negotiations. The, the, um, yeah, the Chinese think that the British, you know, there's overconfidence on the Chinese side. I had one uh, account where I read that the, they thought that the British soldiers would be ineffective because their trousers were so tight. They would not be able to move their legs properly. And uh, uh, they reported back to their emperor that they, they are powerless in these trousers. Uh, if you see how tight they are around their girth, they will not be able to... Are they, what are they wearing? Skinny jeans? Yeah, I don't know. It's just that not the same as what the Chinese were used to wearing. So, yeah, there's all sorts of... Another thing about um, they were dressed up in tiger costumes at one point to the try and... Chinese? Repel, yes, to try and repel uh, the British. Uh, and they were, um, they were, you know, they were... Uh, without wanting to sound sort of patronising to the ancient, you know, the historic Chinese dynasty, they were still very much, uh, you know, in the mystical age, whereas... Uh, Britain had had the Industrial Revolution, understood yeah. science, and understood that chamber pots full of urine, you know, were no match for guns. Yeah. And so, you know, uh, the post-industrial British had a huge advantage and were just, uh, could do whatever they pleased, could destroy uh, any fortification with their guns and could overrun any town they wanted. And they did. They yeah. took Shanghai. Yep. Um, and then eventually they captured Nanjing or Nanking. Yes. Um and that basically brought an end to the fighting in August 1942. Yes. Then negotiations began. And we got we got a little present, didn't we? We did. We did get a little present as part of the... So the Treaty of Nanking King. was signed uh, in 1942. It... Um, got us Hong Kong. Got us Hong Kong. That so, was part of the... Uh, so we have this... We, we acquired this uh, historic colony off the uh, coast of China yep. because we blew them up because they wouldn't let us sell opium. Sell hard drugs. It's 50-50. Yeah, I mean, I you're, mean, both, fair, you're both as bad as each other. Oh, half one. No, what was it? Half one, so, six half the dozen, other. Half dozen, one, six yeah. the other. So that's why Hong Kong became a British uh, colony, yep. uh, at least. That, that was one of the provisions. The other provision was that China had to increase the number of treaty ports so they could no longer just um, do trade through... Canton, it was uh, opened up yep. um, to five regions where foreign traders could now trade. And as you say, the territory of Hong Kong was given to Great Britain. And then there was a supplement to the treaty signed a year later in 1843, uh, which gave Britain most favoured nation status. Biggest guns, I think that means. The biggest guns. Well, yeah. That just basically meant that any agreement China then had with any other foreign country 
Britain had to be right. given the same. Yes. So uh, offered the same rights. Yeah. So this is basically Britain at its most self-confident, most swaggering. Uh, uh, you know, before the rise of Germany or recovery of France from the Napoleonic Wars, yeah. Britain was the sole world superpower really, and was doing whatever it wanted, whether it was pushing drugs or um, <laughs> saying you can't trade with China unless we say. Um, unless we say you can, yeah. um, it's a British sort of imperialism at its worst, really. Yeah, so, and we don't get taught about. No, we don't know, get taught about. Like, don't get taught about any of this and the reasons behind. You know, people are very proud of the British Empire without understanding what that really mm. meant and that it was about trade. Well, it's about trade, but it's also about uh, monopolies and yeah. uh, racism, uh, yeah. which is a big uh, underpinning factor in all of this. But we don't get taught about this. But in communist China, this war is like the most useful propaganda oh, incident yeah. uh, uh, in their history. And so every Chinese student learns about the this war and it's the beginning of a hundred years of national humiliation. Yeah. So what it does conveniently, it um, uh, portrays Western imperialism, but also the uselessness of the pre-communist regimes. Yeah. So it's very useful for the, uh, the communist Chinese governments. And so all Chinese school children are taught about this there's great memorials and um, um, statues to the fallen of these wars against the imperialists uh, mm -hmm. because the hundred years of national humiliation starts here then you've got the boxer rebellion you've got the uh, japanese invasion you've Bad got you've got ja japanese aggression and in, uh, in the manchuria in uh, 1930s right up until Mao takes over in 1949. So it's a neat little century that they've wrapped yeah. up as the century of Chinese humiliation. So they can say, thank goodness, the communist party... Mao came along. Uh, Mao came along to kill us all. Yes. In the great <laughs> and famine. save us from this embarrassment. Yeah, the, by saving us from embarrassment. By, by starving his great, us to death yes, and his, killing us. His great famine and his waving of little red books. But, yes. So... Uh, in terms of how countries use their history mm. uh, for propaganda, we'll talk about Dunkirk or we'll talk about the Spanish Armada when yeah. we were the plucky underdogs. But, you know, this was a time when we were the overdogs, we were the bullies, forcing yeah. drugs on people. It serves Chinese purposes to build it up. It serves British purposes to play it down. And I think it's a classic example of how we've, both countries have spun their history. You pick the bits of yeah. history that serve you best at the time. Yeah. And uh, so uh, we'll, we'll go back to calling it the Anglo-Chinese War. Yes. And long live free trade. And, um, and, <laughs> and that was, you know, yeah. that's the claim now, isn't it? That yeah. Lord Palmerston basically initiated the war to maintain that principle, free trade. And if you want to try opium, kids, you know, don't do it. <laughs> yeah, don't do opium. Don't, just don't, say no. Just say no. Just say no to opium, heroin or any of its um, morphine, maybe. Morphine's morphine. quite nice. Morphine. Have you had morphine? I have had morphine. Oh, so you. you Post-surgery morphine. Right. It's pretty. Nice. Yeah, did you were you in a den smoking it? Or? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. If you could call St. George's Hospital in Tooting a den, then yes, that's what I was in. So heroin hadn't been invented at this point. Uh no. it should be um stated. So but imagine if we were in the heroin war. Maybe that's uh, you know, that yeah. be that's maybe that's something that Trump's got Skag war. Maybe maybe Trump's got that up his sleeve yet. We're gonna oh, have God. we're gonna have the uh, crack crack cocaine war. The crack yeah. conflict. Where Mexicans have to have crack and the pay smack Trump. skirmish. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> We're riffing into nonsense now. Uh, we shone a light, I think, on a it's little known. It's been really interesting known. to read about this. It's, yes. Um, I mean, yes, I should. There's a really big gap in my. Yeah, I should credit the books I've read. I read Julia Lovell's The Opium War, Drugs, Dreams of the Making of China. And the other one I read was Peter Ward Fay, The Opium War, 1842-1842. There was another opium war later when Palmerston became prime minister. 
And it was the same thing again, basically. It was just like us pushing around the Chinese and saying, no, you've got to sell these drugs that come from India for our balance of payments. We want money. We don't care that you are getting a load of smackheads lying mm. around your cities. Well done, Britain. Yes. <laughs> let's good, good let's salute the flag oh, and, uh, and get the Hubble Bubble pipe out and we'll... Um... Le- at least those attitudes have gone now, eh, John? <laughs> Thank eh? goodness that arrogant imperialism Ooh. is a thing of the past. <laughs> Catch us next time on We Are History um, <laughs> and um, tweet us. At We Are History Pod. At We Are History. Suggest a subject if you like and uh, we'll catch you next time. See you next time. Bye. Bye.